Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Amen. Awesome. Thank you guys again so much for being here. If you uh, have a, a, a smartphone, if you have the Bible app, it's free. Uh, you can tap on more and tap events and all of these notes because we're gonna we got a lot of scripture that we're gonna read through today just so we're all on the same page. It's all there so you can go back to it. If you like taking notes, we actually have three sort of uh, points today. We don't normally do that. Oh, man, sorry. Let's pass our baskets. I forget about this every week. I probably shouldn't. Um, but if you have a donation you like to put in that you don't do by um, the internet uh, online. Please feel free to do that. Thanks, Mary Rose. Um, and so, uh, so let's jump straight in because we've got a lot to, to look at, and I don't want to, uh, to to be here long, you know, longer than we normally are. So we're doing this series of, of walking by faith. Um, we're, we we know the verse, Second Corinthians. It's right here. We've looked at it, you know, for for six weeks now. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We know that. Every Christian probably has heard that verse one time, two times. You might even have a bumper sticker or a t-shirt that says it on it. Coffee mug. But what really does that mean? What really does that look like to actually walk by faith? And that's what we're taking a look at. And I'm not going to review everything because that's, that's why we have podcasts and that sort of stuff. But what I really want to mention is what we've done is we're going back through the Old Testament, starting in Genesis. Anybody ever done a Bible study through Genesis? Probably many of us, if not most of us, at least we've read through it probably a time or two. And what we're trying to do is instead of just going through and just looking at what is seen, what we can see by sight, Abraham had, a, had some kids, had a wife, you know, the story. What we're trying to do is say, okay, what is the mystery that Paul speaks of that is actually hidden in this history of God, in, his, in God's very history of this people that came from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Paul says there is a great mystery of Christ. Paul talks about it, but we only have, I think it's what, 11-ish or so letters from Paul the Apostle. So we have a fraction of what Paul was writing and talking and teaching about this mystery of Christ. And so we've, we have, thankfully, in the New Testament what he wrote, but there is, there is an incredible amount of greater mystery that is hidden in the Old Testament that can't be contained in the letters that Paul wrote. And so we're just going through this very same Old Testament scripture and saying, all right, what is this mystery? How is, as Jesus told the Pharisees in John 5, how was Moses, who wrote Genesis, how is Moses writing about Jesus? Because Jesus said that. He said, if you believe Moses, you believe me, for Moses wrote about me. 
So we're going through Genesis, the writing of Moses, and we're saying, what is this revealing about Christ, about his bride, about our life with him? So if you remember, when we got to Moses and we, I mean, no, uh, Abraham, and we started back at the beginning of creation, but by the time we got to Abraham, we saw that Abraham himself was a picture of faith. Abraham believed God and was credited as righteousness. And if you remember, one of the very next things that happened was this thing of circumcision, this cutting away of flesh, which was a picture, a, a foreshadowing of the fact that in the new covenant, God would cut away the entirety of our flesh, not just a, a little piece of the foreskin, but the entirety of the flesh, separating the inner man from the outer man. So with Abraham, you have a picture of belief, faith, then circumcision, the cutting away of the inner from the outer. Then with Isaac, we see Abraham laying Isaac down as a picture of death on the altar, but then raising him back up as a picture, a sign of resurrection. You can go back to the podcast and listen to the whole thing if you'd like. But death and resurrection. So you have belief, the cutting away of the inner from the outer. You have the death of the old man. But then you have a resurrection of a new man, which is exactly what Paul teaches in Romans and Galatians, any of his letters. He's teaching this very process. Belief, Colossians 2, cutting away of the old, buried with him in baptism and death, and raised up in resurrection. Then Isaac, as we saw last week, took a bride. And Isaac's wife that he took, his name, her name was, anybody remember? Rebecca. And Rebecca actually means, the name actually means to join together in security, used to secure. And so Isaac took Rebecca in wedding, in marriage, to secure the one to the other, which was a foreshadowing, a foretelling of as we have believed, we've been cut away, we've been buried, we've been raised a new creation, we ourselves are secured. To our groom, not Isaac, but to Christ himself. I did a wedding for you guys earlier this year, and that was the whole, what the whole thing was about, how marriage in this world is all a shadow of our union with Christ himself. And so with Isaac and Rebecca coming together, it's a shadow of us becoming joined, us getting rebecca being secured to Christ Jesus himself. Today, we're going to pick up this timeline or this this progression with some kids that Isaac and Rebecca had. So we have death, uh, excuse me, belief, faith, circumcision, cutting away of the inner from the outer, the death of the inner, the resurrection of a new inner man, and the union of that inner man to Christ. It's the Old Testament. It's what Moses wrote about. Do you see? Does, it, does anybody see how Jesus is saying Moses wrote about me? Does anybody see that? I mean, it's not just me, right? I mean, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? All right. So we're going to ask and answer a very difficult question. But what's so cool to me is there's a few chapters about Abraham, a few chapters about Isaac and Rebecca, but there are, I think, like 10 to 12 chapters, I didn't count them all, about Jacob. Jacob is one of the sons of Isaac. And I think what that's telling us, and we'll see it in the scriptures here in a second. We're not going to go cover all 10, 12 chapters this morning. Don't, don't worry. But I think that's telling us is there's so much to see here in this. Once a union has happened, 
how do we now live in this world? We have been joined to Christ, but we yet we remain in these bodies. How do we live? How do we now walk in this broken world knowing that we have been joined to Christ himself? The outer man, if you will, the flesh, the body, it, we find ourselves, at least I do, and you can you know, join with me if you want, if you want. I find that so often I feel intimidated by the power of the flesh, the power of sin, the desire of the flesh in this mortal body to do what the flesh wants to do. Anybody else? I mean, is it just me? Does anybody else could testify this morning? You know, let's have a little church, right? Let's testify. Did anybody else say, you know, there is a desire. I feel it all the time in this body of flesh to do what I know is not of Christ. Anybody? All right. Okay, good. It's not just me. All right. For those who didn't raise your hand, you can teach next week. Um, so so what I, what, what the question that we're going to look at is, how in the world do we grow so that the outer man who seems so strong and so powerful, so mighty, becomes supplanted by the reality of our new man in Christ. How does that happen? How does our new heart, our new man, which we know is there by faith, but it feels so distant at times when temptation is coming and the desires to sin are so present. How does that, that the new man, our new heart in Christ grow to the point where we now see and feel and, and experience our real desires that God has etched in our heart, etched upon us, and no longer succumbing to the desires of the flesh, of the outer man. That's what we're going to take a look at. And we're going to look at Jacob and Esau and see, hopefully, the answer. Because, much to our most religionists' chagrin, the law is not the solution. Moses, uh, Paul says very plainly that the law is not of faith. So the law, Ten Commandments, thou shalt, it's not of faith. And so if our instruction, if you will, our calling is to live or walk by faith, and the law is not of faith, I'm not the best mathematician in the world, but I can do that equation. If we're to walk by faith and the law is not of faith, then what are we not to walk of and by? The law. In fact, this preposition of, it literally means based upon. The law has no basis upon faith. And so therefore, and Paul explains this very thoroughly in Galatians, the law is not for the born-again believer. To to Timothy, remember, he says, the law is not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. So how does this happen? How do, if we don't have law, thou shalt to go by, a conversation we've had several times, if there's no, you know, written uh, uh, standard to go by, then how does the outer man shrink, if you will, and succumb to the power of this new life that's within, this new life that has been raised up with Christ and now wed to Christ, now Rebecca to Christ. How does that which is within supplant the outer? I'm glad you asked because we're going to take a look at that. Paul, referencing Malachi or Malachi, says, just as it is written, God said this, Malachi chapter 1, Verse 3, Jacob I loved, but Esau 
I hated. And we probably stumbled upon this verse here in Romans. I think it's 9. Yeah, Romans 9. And we've thought, I thought God didn't hate people. I thought he loved. God's love. How can he hate Esau? What did Esau do? Some of our Reformed friends, they take this verse to, as a proof text to say, see, Jacob is those who are chosen, Esau those who are not chosen. So God loves the elect and he hates the reprobate, the unelect. Well, that might be an, uh, an interpretation, but I don't think it's at all what the Lord is talking about. But there's something about Jacob. There's something about Esau. There's a mystery hidden in this history. And I pray that our, our, the Spirit of God would open our eyes to see what is hidden here. It's been written in your books, your Bibles, for 2,000 years or longer with Genesis, thousands of years, to see what really is going on. So let's start at the beginning, Genesis chapter 25, verse 19. Now, these are the records in the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean uh, of uh, Paddan uh, Aram, the sister of Laban, the Armenian, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children, plural, be careful what you ask for, struggled together within her. And she said, this is so cool, if it is so, why then am I, in English is added this way. The Hebrew is just, if this is the way it's going to be, why am I here? Because there was such tension, such wrestling going on in her womb. I'm imagining a lot of pain, a lot of agony. If it's going to be this way, why am I even living? Can you hear the pain of a mom who was barren wanting children? And now this? So she went to the Lord. What did it say? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Hear what the Lord told her. Verse 23. Two nations are in your womb. We're familiar with this. We've read this. We've seen the sight, what can be seen. Jacob, who became the father of Israel, the Israelites. Esau, who became the father of the Edomites. And they fought with, against each other. We, we see the scene. That's true. The physical Reality that happened. Edom still fights against the, the which became Palestinian, still fight against Israel. It's, it's physical, but there's something more. Jesus says, he's writing about me. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other. And here's our big deal. The older shall serve the younger. Now, this is counterintuitive because in that culture, not so much today in our culture, though perhaps the inheritance transferred from the father upon his death to the oldest male heir. That's the way it worked. That's the way it always worked. It doesn't really work that way. Now we kind of, you know, disperse it more evenly today in our culture. I don't know about other cultures, but in our culture, we don't really do it that way. But what God is saying is we're going to do something different here. The older shall serve the younger. Keep that filed away because 
that is everything. This promise is everything to us when it comes to how shall the inner man supplant, overpower the outer man. When her days were to be delivered, were fulfilled, to be delivered, her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now, uh, now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Now, we've looked at a lot of these Hebrew names like Rebecca and Isaac and Abraham, what they all mean. Esau actually means to, to do, to make, to, to work, to do, like as in to do a commandment, to follow instruction, to do. We'll see in the next verse, or two verses, that Esau loved the outdoors. He was a bow hunter. He was uh, an outdoorsman, you know, a manly kind of man. You know, we have good thoughts when it comes to Esau in that sort of a sense. Fisher hunter, you know, Second Amendment guy, you know, he loved it. <laughs> but, but what I want us to see, begin seeing if we're not seeing already, that this hairy child who comes to enjoy the outdoors, he is a picture. I'm submitting to you. I could be wrong. But I submit he is a picture as we've seen this death, I mean this belief, circumcision, death, resurrection, union. He's a picture of what we would call, Paul would call later in the New Testament, the outer man, the flesh, the body, the outer man. Esau loved the outdoors. Harry, his name means to do, to do a commandment, the outer man. But there was another. His brother came forth afterward. Unique, with his hand holding on to Esau's heel so that his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when he gave birth to them. So Isaac's kind of old to be doing this. Jacob. Jacob, we'll see in the next verse, he loved to live in the what? Anybody know? Tense. He loved to live. He's an indoor guy. So you got an outdoor brother, Esau, whose name means to do, like to do a commandment. And you got an indoor boy who loved to be inside. What do you think if Esau, if I'm submitting to you, if Esau is a picture of the outer man, the outside guy, who do you think Jacob just might be a shadow, a picture of? The inner man. Do you see that? The inner man. Now, who was born first, Esau or Jacob? Esau. God promised that the older shall what the younger? Serve the younger. Okay? All right. When the boys grew up, oh, by the way, Jacob means, um, it, it literally means to follow after someone, to come behind. And that's why they named him, because he was holding on to the heel and he came behind. Now, it can mean this deviously, right? Deviously? Is that the right, the right word? Uh, devious. Something devious, like to, fall, to follow behind somebody, to like, you know, to, to, to catch them, to hurt them. You know, it can be something negative in that sense. But it can also just simply mean one who comes behind uh, in succession. Um, so the name Jacob is also used to, 
in the, in the idea of to deceive, to kind of sneak behind and supplant. I'm going to wait my turn. I'm going to hide and wait, but then I'm going to jump ahead sort of a deal, but not necessarily devious. It can be, but not necessarily. So Jacob lived in tents. I think Jacob is a picture of the inner man. He was born second, but the promise was that Jacob, a picture of the inner man, is actually going to become greater than the outer man and that the outer man will serve the inner man. Isaac was 60 years old. And it came about when Isaac was old. Uh, let's skip verse 20. Oh, this is 7. No, what is this? Did I skip verse 27? I did. Uh, so verse 27, sorry about that, says the boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter. So the outdoor guy, a man of the fields, this is verse 27. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. So one guy was outside, one guy was inside. In fact, the word peaceful in the Hebrew literally means complete. Jacob was complete living in the tent. He was content living in the, yeah, pretty cool, huh? All right. So he was content, complete, rest at rest living in the tent. I hope we're seeing what's happening here. Esau, I'm submitting to you, is a picture of the outer man. Jacob, a picture of the inner man. Both born into this world, not just as twins, but joined together just as we are born into this world. The inner man and the outer man, as Paul teaches, joined together, then separated. Our outer man, the flesh, is so powerful, it's so strong, it's so pervasive, how will we today, 2018, ever experience victory over the temptation of sin, lust, deceit, you name it? The law, that's not here to help because that's not for the believer. In fact, Paul says that the law is the power of sin. It makes it worse. But the promise is that the older Esau, picture of the flesh, the outer man, shall serve the younger, the inner man, Jacob. Two nations, two people, one womb. Now, later in this chapter, 26, Jacob, uh, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for some food. All right? We're not going to look at those verses for time's sake. But it's just like the flesh, the outer man, to value something of temporary pleasure over something of a lifelong pleasure. Give me a meal, the flesh says, temporary pleasure and in, in, in I will give you something of lifelong pleasure, the birthright. Isn't that just like the flesh, what it tries to do, the outer man? Absolutely. Now, verse, chapter 27, skipping ahead, and I'm going to read through this very quickly. This is where Jacob supplants. This is where he gets in front of Esau. We know this story, so we're going to read it very, very fast. Now, it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see. They didn't have glasses back then, right? They didn't have cataract surgery. So he couldn't see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son. And he said, and, and the son said, here am I. Uh, Isaac said, behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. So the whole plan, we're all together. Isaac is about to bless the older. 
He's about to give the rights of everything he has and his major blessing to the older Esau. But God said what? The older shall what? The younger. Serve. Okay. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Who, who did God say this to? This older shall serve the younger. Isaac might have heard it, but it was spoken to whom? Rebekah. So she says, here's the time. I don't think Rebecca's being deceivious, deceivious, mischievous, deceitful. You know the words. I don't think so. I think she's just saying, hey, here's the time. God said this. We're going to do this. So let's don't think of this as, as deceit in like the evil sense. This is God said this. The younger, the older shall serve the younger. So Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Hey Jacob, you who come after, you who follow after and lie in wait to supplant. Behold, now's your time to supplant. Jacob, go Jacob. Behold, I hear your father speak to your son, your, your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and may bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I command you. Now go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father such as he loves. Then you, Jacob, shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before the death so that you, the younger, shall be greater. You, the inner picture of the inner man. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, he's a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me. Then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse, not a blessing. Jacob's thinking through this. I'm not sure if this is the right idea, Ma. But his mother said to him, Your curse be upon me, my son, only obey my voice and go get them for me. Growing up, I thought, man, I wouldn't want to cross Rebecca. Like she is vile, right? But I don't see that at all anymore. I see her exercising faith. Hey, this is what the Lord said is going to happen. So if there's a cursing, it be upon me. But there's not going to be a curse because this is what God said. The older shall serve the younger. So he went and he got them. And he brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of a young goat on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made. She gave it to her son Jacob. Then he, Jacob, came to his father, Isaac, and said, My father. And Isaac said, Here am I. Who are you, my son? He can't see. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Is that a lie? Yeah, it's a lie. But he is fulfilling, if you will, his destiny of the younger becoming greater than the older. The older shall serve the younger. This is a promise. So let's don't see this, I'm suggesting to you, as some sort of devious, mischievous wickedness. But let's see this as 
a promise being fulfilled that the older shall serve the younger. Uh, verse 19. Um, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please. Sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. Verse 20. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have done this so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God has caused it to happen to me. I think there's a lot in that passage right there that we don't have time to really open up. But this is the, he's not telling, he, he's not stretching truth right here. This is the Lord's planning that this has happened. The Lord has caused me, the younger, to be greater than the older. God promised this to mom. And we're now doing this. Uh, then Isaac said to Jacob, <laughs> Isaac's not really buying it yet. Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to his, uh, Isaac, his father, and he felt him. And he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Because remember, he had put the, the fur on his hands. Verse 23, he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands. So he, Isaac, blessed Jacob. And he said to him, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate and he also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss uh, me, my son. So he came close and he kissed him. And when he smelt the smell of his garments, he blessed him. And he said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. Grain and new wine. Where do we see bread and wine? You see that? May peoples serve you. May nations bow down to you, Jacob. Be masters of your brothers and your mother's sons. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be the ones who curse you. And blessed be the ones who bless you. Now it came about that as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunt. Then he also made savory food and he brought it to his father, clueless. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac, his father said to him, well, who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate of it, all of it and, uh, before you came and blessed him. Who was that? Yes, he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Oh, bless me even so, O oh my father. And he said, verse 35, Your brother came 
deceitfully. That word is Jacob. He came and Jacobed. He supplanted. He was behind and he came in front. He deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, is he not right, namely, uh, rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted, supplanted. That's it. He has taken the place. He has come in front. He has supplanted me. The Jacob, a picture of the inner man, has gained power and authority over the outer man. These two times. The first time, he took my birthright. Well, you kind of sold that. You didn't really take that one. But then now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Is there something left over? Verse 37, but Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master and all his relatives I have given to him as servants. The older shall serve the younger. The outer man shall serve the inner man. And with grain and new wine, I have sustained him. The death, the resurrection of Christ, I have sustained the inner man. That's why we sing, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Now, as for you then, what can I do, my son? But he said to his father, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me, bless me even so, oh, my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, here's the blessing. Behold, Away from the fertility of the land shall your dwelling uh, shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of the heavens from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless, this is so neat to me, that you will break his yoke from your neck. Now on surface it sounds oh. Esau's going to make a comeback. I don't think so. I could be wrong here, but what I think he's saying is the day will come, Esau, where this thing that is, is so, uh, you're, you're so angry about, you're so at war with him, this yoke that you don't want to be under, the day will come when that yoke is broken, meaning I'm, I'm suggesting to you that this strife, this war, this battle, Esau, between you and your brother, it will end and you will accept your fate. This yoke that you are bucking against will break and you will accept the reality of your servanthood to Esau, uh, to, to Jacob. So Esau bore a grudge. He hated his brother Jacob because of the blessing which the father had blessed Jacob. And Esau said to, his, to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. He's about to die. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Sounds like I, uh, Cain and Abel, what we looked at weeks ago. Verse 42. Now, when the words of her older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise and flee to Haran to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides. A few days. Yeah, that wasn't a few days. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, 
until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send and get you from there. What I hear her saying is, once that yoke is broken and he, he, he accepts the fate that you are, he's going to serve you, then I will send. Why should I be bereaved of both of you in one day? Why should I lose both of you in one day? So Jacob is scared of Esau. If Jacob's a picture of the inner man, he is like many of us are on a daily basis. Gosh, this, the flesh, the outer man is so strong. It's so mighty. I keep on following it and doing what it says instead of what I know who I really am. The flesh, the outer man, Esau, so strong and we're scared like Jacob was. Jacob is a peaceful tent dweller, but Esau is a rugged bow hunter. And Jacob doesn't stand a chance, does he? And isn't that how we feel all the time? Our inner man doesn't stand a chance against the onslaught of the outer man, the flesh. So here's our question. How does the outer man yield and submit to the inner man? How does the inner man come to a point where the outer man serves the inner man? It's not by laws. It's not by rules. It's not by regulations. Paul says that's out. So how does this happen? Well, here's our three points. And we're going to see them in Jacob's life very quickly because it's already 10 after 11. How does the outer man come to serve the inner man? If you fast forward a few verses to chapter 28, starting in verse 10, Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and he spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and he put it under his head and he laid down in the place. Verse 12, he had a dream and behold, a ladder was set on the earth and its top was reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. The descendants, which remember that's singular, the seed, the descendants, the seed, will also be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and this is what Jacob said. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid in awe, and he said, how awesome is this place. There is no other place. Uh, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So how does the, because uh, Jacob, we're getting there, he's about, he's going to, it's several years, but he is going to have an encounter with Esau again. Jacob and Esau's paths are going to cross. They are at war. They're fighting against each other. Just as Paul says in the letter to the Galatians that the spirit wages war against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And there's going to come a time where the inner man, Jacob, a picture of the inner man is going to encounter Esau. How is Esau 
going to come to a point of submission to Jacob. I'm submitting to you that this first encounter that we see here is the first way in which the outer man becomes subverted by the inner man. And what was it that Jacob said in this vision? He said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. Number one, this is the three notes. If you like doing notes, it's all in the podcast or not the podcast, the Bible notes. How is the outer man come to serve the inner man? Number one, by seeing that God himself is now in you. This dream that Jacob had, he did not know that the Lord was there. He did not know that the Lord was with him. But when he saw the ladder, which is a picture of Christ himself and the, the angels coming up and down the ladder and the voice that says, I am with you and I will be with you. I will keep you until my promise is fulfilled in you. That is, I think, a declaration to us that we have to see in order for the inner man to supplant the outer man, for the outer man to become serving, serve the inner man, is we have to see that God himself is in this place. Surely this, as Jacob said, is the house of God. Not a building, not a place, not a location, but us ourselves. We, the body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ, the living stones, the holy temple, as Paul talks about it. We have got to see that God is not far off, distant, foreign, but he has actually taken up his residence in us. So how do we see? How, do, how does the outer man grow weary and the inner man become stronger? First, by having the same vision, if you will, that Jacob had. That, oh my, oh my, the Lord himself is in this place. Do you see? Are you willing to walk by faith today and believe that the fullness of the creator God now resides in you? Are you willing to believe that? Because if not, good luck walking by faith and not by sight. We must come to believe that God himself now lives in us, with us. How could a holy God live in wicked man? Because he cleaned house and he moved in. Number two, real quickly. There's so much we could say in this, but we've got to roll. As chapter 29 develops, Jacob finds a wife, but her father, Laban, deceives Jacob. The deceiver got deceived. And you know the story in chapter 29. He actually gave Jacob the older sister, Leah. Nothing against Leah. I don't know if anybody named Leah here. But Leah actually means weary, toiled, and worn out. <laughs> and it says, the scripture says that her eyes were weak. She was weak, toiled, worn out. She was the older She'd been a good fit for Esau, perhaps. Picture of the flesh, the outer man, toiling. But Jacob didn't like Leah. He got deceived, but he already said, I do. So he kind of stuck. And so he asked Laban, let me have the one I really want, the one I really love, Rachel. Anybody know what the name Rachel means? Rachel? No? It actually is the Hebrew word for you, E-W-E, a female sheep. In fact, in Isaiah 53, you know the passage, like a sheep before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Sheep, you, Rachel. That's the one that Jacob loved. That's the one he wanted, not the weary, worn, worn out one. The picture of the flesh, is that not 
everyday experience for us, weird and wore out in the flesh. He wanted the one that was precious like a lamb to be his bride. Jacob lives with his father-in-law for at least 14 years. Remember, he worked for seven years for the worn out one. And then he got the good one and he worked seven more years. He had a lot of kids. We'll talk about the kids next week. And the time came for Jacob to leave and Laban and he were coming to terms on what his pay, his compensation should be. So the number one thing that we saw was that we must see that God lives in us. We're going to see right here what's the second thing that we must see in order to, for the outer man to be supplanted by the inner, for the outer to serve the younger, the older to serve the younger. Here it comes right here. Jacob says, they're, they're, they're working up a deal on compensation before Jacob leaves. Jacob says, let me pass through your entire flock today. Here's what I want you to pay me. I'll remove from every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled ones among the goats and such shall be my wages. That sounds funny. He's basically saying all the leftovers that you don't, who wants the speckled and spotted ones? They're not good for sacrifice. They're no good. Let me take, those will be my wage. And you get the pristine, perfect ones. We all together on this? This will be my wage. What you owe me for all these years of working. All right. So my, so my honesty and answer uh, for me later, when you come concerning my wages, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. So we're all together. I will take only the spotted, speckled, and black ones. If there's anything other than that, it's stolen and you could do with me. And Laban said, all right, let's do it according to your word. That will be your pay. And he speckled, spotted, and whatever the other one, black, yeah, amongst the goats or whatever. So look what Laban does. I told you Laban was a little dirtbag. Laban on that day removed all the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats. Everyone with white in it, he removed them, and all the black ones among the sheaves, and he gave them to the care of his sons. He took all the money out of the piggy bank before the piggy bank got delivered, right? And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Pretty dirt bag sort of a move there, isn't it? Are we all together? We see what happened here? So Laban took all the ones all the, that Jacob would end up with. Verse 20, 37. So this is what Jacob does. Radical. He took fresh rods of poplar. Most of our kitchen is now made of poplar. And almond and plane trees. Look at this. He peeled the bark, peeled white strips. He peeled the bark off to reveal what was inside of them, exposing the white which was in the rods, in the sticks. Peeled the bark so you could see what was inside. 38. And he set these rods, which he had peeled in front of the flocks, in the gutters, even the water troughs, where the flocks came to drink, and they mated when they came to drink. So we all on the same page here? This is weird. He peels the sticks, revealing what was inside, and he put them in the water. The goats would come to the water to drink, and that's where they mated. Verse 39. So the flocks mated by the rods, look at this, and the flocks, now these are not speckled because all those are gone. These are not spotted. All those are gone. The perfect, unspeckled, spotted lambs, sheep, they brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted baby lambs. I don't know what they're called. Any help? 
Lambs? Oh, yeah, lambs. That's right. So brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted lambs. How did that happen? I say it's a miracle. I mean, how, how, can, how else can that happen? It's a miracle. He peeled back the outer so that they could see what was actually inside the stick, and they became what they saw, the stripe. Remember, it's a white stripe. They became striped because that's what they saw. You see that? Verse 40, Jacob separated the lambs, and he made the flocks face towards the stripe and, the black, and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put forth his, his own herds apart, and he did not put them with Laban's flock. So he started separating all these new ones. And this took some time. Right? I don't know what the gestation period of a sheep is, but it, take, it takes time for this to happen. And so he's doing this as they see what was inside the sticks. They become, they become striped and speckled, just like what they see inside. Moreover, whenever the stronger, here's Jacob, here's the deceiver coming through. Whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob's not dumb, he would place the rods in the sight of the flock in the gutter so that they might mate by the rods, the stronger. But when the flock was feeble, the weak ones, the not so strong ones, he did not put the, the sticks in front of them. So the feebler were Laban's over time and the stronger were Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. What's this all about, right? I'm submitting to you that what Jacob does here is he simply opens up these sticks so that these lambs, these sheep can see what's inside. And by seeing what's inside, these white stripes, they supernaturally, by miracle, produce barren offspring that matches what they see. How does the inner man come to be served by the outer? How does the outer man serve the inner man? By looking within, like those sticks. By looking what truly lies beneath and seeing what really lies under the flesh in the new man. Do you see this? He just peeled the bark so they could see what was inside. How many times did the, does the apostle, all the apostles, do they say things like, set your eyes not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. For that which is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. What I hear the apostle saying is, look at Jacob and the sheep. He peeled back so he could see what was inside and what supernatural thing came out. It was a miracle. The sheep were just drinking and enjoying themselves. And they came forth naturally, supernaturally, what, was, what they were seeing. It was sight. It wasn't work. It wasn't effort. It wasn't labor. It was sight. The sheep looked at the striped stick and they bore striped offspring by miracle just by looking and seeing what was inside the stick. Listen, church, as we look at the truth of who we really are within, the truth, it will, who we really are, will bear forth by miracle, not by human effort, not by Esau to do and to follow command, but by a supernatural miracle of God himself who brings forth this life within as we set our mind, set our eyes, as we, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, pull back the veil and see the truth of what lies beneath the very glory of God, what he has made us spotless, holy, righteous, 
by miracle comes forth through us. But what happens if we don't believe what we really are inside? What if when we look inside, we see sinner, stained, unworthy? Well, guess what's going to come forth? Sinful, stained, unworthy things. But walking by faith is looking beyond the bark to see what lies beneath. And as our eyes are set on that, as our focus is set there, what is in comes forth by miracle, like with the sheep. So number two, how does the outer man serve the inner man? How does this happen? It's a miracle. I agree. But we must look within and see what really is beneath the flesh. What really is the new man? What is the apostle really teaching about our new heart, our new identity? Well, let's talk about identity, our number three thing, real quickly. Years pass. Jacob, this is like the night or two before he meets Esau. So some time has passed, been at least 14 some odd years. He is about to meet Esau for the first time. He's been scared of Esau. Esau is the outdoorsy, bow hunting, you know, rip your head off with his bare knuckles sort of a guy. Jacob likes living in tents. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with Jacob until daybreak. We're familiar with this. When he, the man, saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, the man touched the socket of Jacob's thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he was wrestling with him. Then he said, this man, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob, the one who supplants, the one who comes after, because that's my identity. I have just been the one that just comes after. And this man says something very prophetic, something very amazing. He says, no longer will you be the one that comes after. Those days are gone. That's not your identity anymore. You have a new name. Your name shall no, be, no longer be the one who is yet to come after. Your name is no longer to be the one who is going to supplant. You have a new name, Jacob. Your name is Israel. What does Israel mean? It means prince of God, prevailer with God. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. You are no longer the one who is going to supplant. You have prevailed. The older shall serve the younger. Verse 29, then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he had said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. I think Jacob is saying this, this wasn't just some man. This was at minimum perhaps a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ himself who is telling me my new identity. I am no longer one who is going to supplant. I am no longer one who is going to get in front of Esau. I am one who has prevailed. Do you see the identity that the Lord is giving Jacob, the new identity? So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God. Now the sun rose upon him. And just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Now, Hebrews says that the rest of he, Jacob's days, he leaned on his staff to walk. A picture I submit to you of a continual dependence 
upon something else. I would say a shadow of a dependence upon someone else, Christ himself, that we now live by. How can Jacob, the one who is going to supplant, become the one who did supplant? It's by depending upon Christ himself who is our life. For we cannot Esau it. We cannot do it on our own by just simply following commands. We must realize that through a total dependency upon Christ himself who is our life, we shall prevail. So number three, how does the outer man come to serve the inner man? How does the, the, the temptations and the desires of the flesh that are so real to me and so, so, so familiar with me get replaced by these new desires that God himself has etched in my new heart was by seeing that God is in you. Surely God is in this place. By looking within and seeing what really, truly my heart is, my new life, my new man, But then also, thirdly, by knowing our true identity and knowing our true worth and by dependency upon Jesus himself. We will not accomplish this by our own doing, but as a daily leaning on the staff. Hebrews says in Hebrews 11 that Jacob leaned upon his staff and he blessed his sons. Even in the blessing of his sons, he is depending upon something. As we bless one another, it is even in a dependency upon Christ who is our life. So the time finally came for Jacob to meet Esau again. This has been stressful. He's still sort of freaking out. We're not going to read all the verses. But what would happen? Would the rugged, tough bow hunter make mincemeat out of Jacob? Remember, he swore, I'm going to kill him. Last four verses this morning. I apologize for the time. Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. You don't go into a fight by yourself, do you? You get your buddies and say, hey, come on, I need your help. 400 men. So Jacob, he's not a dummy. He divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids, and he put the maids and their children in front. And Leah, remember, he just lives in tents. And Leah and her children next. And Rachel and Joseph, it's a big deal. We'll get to Joseph in a couple of weeks. We'll spend probably several weeks on Joseph. He put Rachel and Joseph, Joseph his most, at this point, prized son. Benjamin comes later, I think, if I remember correctly. In verse 3, but he himself, this is cool. He passed on ahead of them by faith. The older shall serve the younger. And he bowed down with respect to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Then Esau, who swore the last time he saw his brother was going to kill him, he ran. He ran to his brother and he embraced him and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And they wept. The older shall serve the younger. What happened? What happened in all these years? 14 plus years. What happened? I thought he was going to kill him. I thought he was going to be mincemeat. I thought he was going to destroy him, tear him apart. The strength of the outer man. There was a revelation that happened in Jacob's life. Revelation number one. God is in this place. 
Revelation number two, as the sheep saw what was on the inside, they produced on the, out, the outside manifestation of what was on the inside. Revelation number three, his identity changed from the one who will supplant to the one who has prevailed. Church, I'm suggesting to you, I could be dead wrong on all this. Don't ever take my word for something. But our journey marker this morning is walking by faith, is seeing that the outer man serves the inner man. The strength, power of the outer man comes to accept his fate by serving the inner man by revelation not by regulation. See, regulation is, let's get the flesh, the outer man, let's regulate it by laws, commands, do this, don't do that. Is that what, Paul, uh, is that what we see in Jacob? Did Jacob build up his army to try to regulate and control Esau's army? No, it wasn't that sort of a war. It was a revelation of what was real. God is in this place. I'm not alone in this. If God be for me, who can be against me? Not just Bible verses and coffee mugs, but a genuine revelation that God is in this place, church, we must see. And as we see that God is in this place, as we see the reality of our new heart, what begins to come forth from these bodies, that that which is what with, is within that which we see becomes manifested through these bodies, just as those sheep, those silly sheep, all they're doing was drinking and mating, drinking and mating. Sounds like a plan. You just drink, you just mate, you sheep, and out comes what you see. As we rest in our union, if you will, our mating with Christ himself, and we see what is real, out comes what is within, what we see. But are we willing to see it? Are we going to follow what we thought, what we once saw? And lastly, are we going to live by this new identity? We are not ones who shall, will, maybe prevail one day. But by our union with him, we have prevailed. The battle is the Lord's. His joy is our strength. As long as we think that we can subdue Esau, the doer, the one who does commands by regulation, we're, gonna, we're not walking by faith. But as we yield to a revelation of what Jesus has really done to us, that he is our life, we will see by promise that the outer man comes to serve the inner. That's all I have for today. We're going to talk about some of Jacob's sons next week because he had 12 of them. Any thoughts, any questions, any comments? Um, this makes sense? Does anybody see what we're seeing here? This foolishness? Is this a holy hush or is this like a... What time does the game start? Hush. Yeah, Jonas? I was just reflecting on the difference between, I guess, in its simplest form, light and, and darkness. And I was reminded of thought of darkness of saying darkness is kind of recognizing at some point that I have a little time like as Satan said that he knows he has little time and, and so the outward hmm. 
the best or the most they can do is ride on the backs of that which is sure. And, and he acknowledged that this other thing is eternal, it's not mm -hmm. limited to time. And, and so that as people of faith and seeing our identity within, we shouldn't think it's strange that darkness or that which opposes that life is really riding on the, on the back, mm -hmm. so to speak, of that which is eternal. And with an understanding that, uh, like in the end, that the only way they will see this is to draw attention to, and I guess what I'm, what I'm feeling and sensing for myself, don't think it's strange or unfair that the world, so to speak, sometimes I get the idea, you know, I work, I pay taxes, and the people who don't want to pay taxes right on the backs of those that do, but that's okay. I mean, there is nothing out of order about that. It's just the way it is. And can we go through life and somehow trust that darkness will be brought into the light by our loyalty and our faithfulness to God? Hmm. Cool. Cool. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? Do you know the parallel with the first of many of the Last Suppers mentioned in Genesis here? I mean, we have one in this instance, and then we have one with Christ later on. It's just the breaking of bread and yeah. the new ties that were brought on. That was a, it's interesting how you see all this. It seems like a parallel reality in the Old Testament versus the New. It just yeah. builds on itself I, and repeats I could, itself. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It, exactly. I think that's exactly right, uh, Doug, that th this, is, this is what Paul says. In my opinion, this is what Paul is saying, that this mystery that was hidden from generations past has been revealed to me, Paul says, but not just to me, but to the saints. And so that's why this is, is so powerful. It's, it's the wisdom and the mind of God himself that these real historic people that actually lived were shadows and pictures of something that they themselves were clueless about. That's why Hebrews 11 says that all these people died not having what we have. We have what their lives were very shadows and pictures of. We have God in us. Jacob saw a ladder outside. We have it in us. Jacob saw some sheep doing sheep things, but we have it in us. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like Jacob had 12 boys. Is that like the, representing Jesus having the 12 disciples? Possibly, possibly, but we'll, we'll get to that next week. Yeah. yeah, possibly, but I think it's bigger than just that. But, but I do think that there were 12 because of the 12 tribes, but I think it's something even bigger than that. But, but right on, you're, you're seeing what we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I want to be careful about my statement about if you find yourself in life and you are drawing from the resources of the government and, and taxes and things like that, I'm not comparing that to light and darkness. I hear you. I want to be careful that, that I don't <laughs> yeah. make that into a... Disparaging comment, yeah. Yeah, if that, if that is... That, I'm glad that our system has something in place for those right. that sure. are not able to and, and so on. So yeah. I'm just to sure. yeah, no, I appreciate the clarity, yeah. Yeah, Jim. When you were 
teaching through that, the scene when Jesus on the road to Emmaus, mm -hmm. Jesus is talking to those disciples and they don't know who he is, and he starts with Moses and reveals the, all the scriptures speak about him. Yeah, I can imagine that story when he's talking about Jacob. <laughs> those guys, you know, since their hearts burned within in them. Yeah, know? yeah. I can imagine that. Yeah, especially that story. Right. right yeah. And again, this is what I said at the beginning, this Jacob, his life, if this is a picture, if Jacob and Esau, and I submit to you, I may be wrong, if this is a revelation of the outer man being supplanted by the inner man, the outer man growing weaker and weaker, the inner man growing stronger and stronger, as Paul says, if this is a shadow of that, think about how much of Genesis is committed to this. I mean, it is maybe a fourth of the book. Genesis is a big book. So what that communicates to me is that this is, is not just practical, but it is, it is imperative that we see that this is not by simply regulating the outer man. I try to overpower him by laws, rules, regulations. Do better. Try harder. The outer man, if it's Esau, his name means to do, like as in to do commands. He doesn't need more of that. We need a revelation of Christ within that the outer can't stand up against and so the outer becomes the yoke is just it's just received it's my fate i cannot prevail because the prevailer has prevailed me awesome so cool any other thoughts yeah I bob have a question. yeah so just find it very fascinating about that meeting of um, jacob and esau mm -hmm. and how esau before was going to kill him that he came to that point where he could um, go down to whatever, basically hugging Jacob, yeah. weeping right. with him. Right, yeah. What changed in him? And, and I, I, that's, believe became a person of faith. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure if, if, you know, if we want to read through it, reread through it again and see if there's any hints in there in the scriptures. Um, I don't know. I'm not even sure if that's the point. Maybe it is, but I wonder if the reason it's not there is because us, you know, we, the Lord might not want us to even, if, if and I'm just saying if, if that's, if that's not the point of what happens to, to Esau, the point, I think, is what happens within Jacob, right? Where he see these, these three revelations, you know, of, of God is in this place, you know, so forth and so on. It's almost as if the, the, uh, the blessing of Isaac upon Esau, remember, was one day you will, my, my, my words, you're going to accept this. You're gonna, the, the yoke is going to be broken and you're, you're going to just live by it. You're just going to accept it and there's nothing you can do. And so it's not by might, not by Jacob trying to prevail against him by regulation, by, by laws, rules. It's by this amazing supernatural revelation of what really is in, in us. Uh, that's a great question, but outside of that, I, I, I'm not really sure. Yeah. So it almost seems like when Jacob asked, can you not also bless me, he desired. Oh, you mean Esau? Or, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Esau. He desired the blessing. Oh, of course. And, yeah. and then so later, maybe this was the blessing. He didn't know what he was asking for, but at mm. the end of the day, there was a breaking. Yeah. And, and so perhaps yeah. that blessing yeah. came to yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It's better to serve Jacob than 
without him. Mm. Yeah, and it goes to show that the, even the outer man really isn't the, quote, enemy. It's the, it's the power of sin. It's the flesh. Paul says that the body is uh, an instrument. And, and it depends on how, how does that instrument get played. Does it get played by Christ? Or does it get played by the flesh? And so Esau himself, if it's just a picture of the outer man, he himself isn't the true enemy, but it's when the power of sin reigns in the body that that becomes the, the waging of the war. But when Jacob's, the revelation comes, Esau no longer is, is, is um, uh, an enemy, uh, uh, antagonistic. They're, they're in, in, in partnership. Beautiful. Yes, and your outer man, your body is not your enemy. It is the parasite that we talk about all the time, the parasite of sin, capital S, the noun, the thing of sin that lives in the body. That is the, the true enemy, not, not the body. I want to be clear on that. And so that's how I think Esau, maybe going to your question, how Esau was able to... Uh, be in fellowship, hug and kiss, and they, they were they made up, and and you keep on reading. There's some good stuff that happens, but it was because I think the takeaway is it came by revelation, not by regulation. I think that's big. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. And he's bowing down with what? A big old limp. I mean, you ever had a hip out of socket trying to bow down? That's at its massive dependency upon a stick, a staff. I think a shadow, a picture of Christ. Awesome. Genesis is cool, isn't it? There's a mystery in God's history. Any other thoughts? It's encouraging, I hope. I pray. Scriptures? Because I think um, one of the things is interesting. I think it's easier to relate with the outer man because that's what our natural sort of thought is, and we sort of try to let the inner man subside the outer man, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but our natural reactions, our instincts, everything we think when we read that article that just makes our yeah you know makes us burn. That's that's yeah. our outer man, right? Like yeah, um, and there's not much story about the outer man's uh, ability to then submit to the inner man. Like that's, if you yeah. want to know that, that part. Yeah, yeah, no, there, there is. I mean, Esau, he becomes the father of the nation called Edom. If you're familiar with Edom, the Edomites. Uh, in fact, King Herod from in the New Testament, he was of Edom. He was an Edomite. Idumea, the capital of Edom. And he was an uh, Edomite. And so you see threads all throughout. The promise of the two nations, that, that actually happened. There's an actual two nations, physical nations that fought in war, the Edom against Israel. And, and Herod continued that. Herod tried to kill, he did. He killed the, all the kids, two years of age and under. Esau fighting Jacob. I mean, it continued physically. But I'm just saying there is a spiritual picture 
of, that by faith we see, not just simply by sight. Um, that's a, but I think it's worth, hopefully these things, you don't leave and be like, oh, well, I learned everything I needed to learn about, you know, Genesis and Jacob. And he, hopefully we walk out of here like, what? And it just draws us to like examine and search, like, like the Bereans, searching the scriptures to determine, are these things true? Hopefully it's not just, well, my cup is full until next Sunday. God, I hope that's not the case. Yeah, let's let this be the, the last comment. It's a song. Yeah. Yeah, my opinion simply would be anything that isn't taken from the context of what is this revealing about Christ can't be what it, the real reason, sure. right? Sure. Because that's what Jesus says in John 5. It's all about me. And like Jim said, the road to Emmaus in Luke 28 or whatever it is. It's all about me. It's all about me. And so if we come across something in the, in the interpretation sure. isn't this is how it reveals Christ, I pass over that personally and go on to another. I guess the, the interest from my perspective mm-hmm. is why is it that different people view it that way? How can you help those people to see it this no, way? Right. You know. Yeah, I, it's not going to be a satisfying answer, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's revelation, yeah. not regulation. Yeah, right. It's, it's, a rev, it's by revelation, and I don't know the answer to that. Why, yeah. why in this fellowship, generally speaking, do we see and hold fast to the fact that all of our sins are forgiven? Whereas you go five seconds in any direction to another fellowship, and this morning is all about what sins do you need to get forgiven, forgiveness from? Why? I don't know. I mean, I really don't. And I, that's an unsatisfactory answer. But I'm thankful that we have the revelation of. You know, it's crazy. It's, I, I don't even, even want to make it mysterious. It's just what the scripture says, it's not even debatable. But there's a blindness. There is a blindness for sure. I was blind. And I, I mean, not that I see everything clearly today. But to that, I was blind for 31 years. So we're thankful. Guys, I love you. Hope this stuff is encouraging because, man, it, it just makes me, uh, it just fires me up. It's like, man, this is bigger and awesomer and more glorious than any sort of, all right, let's come in and let's focus on some regulations here to try to curb sinning and try to impress the Lord by our obedience, et cetera. That's, that's it's foolishness. It's a waste of time. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way of the new covenant at all.
Let's stand and close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this new covenant. We thank you so much. We, we are undeserving in and of ourselves. We know that. We don't have to tell you that. You know it. But because of your great wisdom, your great mercy and love, you have chosen for whatever reason to reveal yourself in these ways. And we just are in awe this morning. I pray it was a holy hush, not a, are we done yet? I pray it's a wonder and amazement of, of you, of your wisdom. And so, Father, I just pray that you would continue to open our eyes further to see what is hidden, this mystery, as Paul talks about over and over, this mystery hidden in your history. Because it's by the revelation of this mystery, by seeing what is there, that it strengthens us. It, 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 it encourages us to walk truly by faith and not by sight. So, Father, help us, we pray. As we continue in this journey, I pray it's encouraging and edifying to the saints. Give us wisdom, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.